Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery and addiction topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The views expressed here are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Jason, I'm a guy in long-term recovery, here with my co-host as always, Billy. Hey, this is Billy. I'm also a person in long-term recovery. And uh, today we're going to get into the topic of whether uh, being anonymous in recovery creates more stigma or perpetuates stigma or continues to allow people to have a lesser view of people struggling with addiction or something along those lines. But before we get into any of that, I wanted to touch on some housekeeping ideas. The first thing we wanted to mention, we got an email this week. uh, And this email says, Jason and Billy, my name is also Jason. No, I didn't write this to myself. Um, It says, my name is also Jason. I'm from upstate New York, also in recovery. And I just found your podcast on Pandora this past week. I just wanted to reach out and let you guys know I love the podcast and your views, ideas on the topics discussed. Gets my mind going and also helps fuel my recovery motivation. So thanks, guys, and looking forward to more. And I got to tell you, man, this, uh, I mean, for one, this this touched on pretty much exactly why I do this podcast. I can't speak for Billy, but I was like, that's exactly what the purpose of this is for me is just to, the more I talk and think and actively engage in recovery ideas, the more, like, self-aware and more recovery I act on in my life, I guess. And so I wanted to kind of give a place for other people to have that. Um, and oh, go ahead. I yeah. Oh, that's, and I felt exactly the same way, you know, I felt like really, uh, kind of humbled by that mm, and absolutely. really, you know, like, wow, that's amazing. Like it's sort of that thing of when you're in recovery and you feel like, man, if I can just help one person, like ah, it makes it worth it. Right. You know, if I just, if I can make a little bit of impact on one person's life and make one person's life better, um, it's, it's worth the effort that you put into it. And it feels that way with this. And we've had comments like that from friends of ours and things, which, you know, not that that's not as equally as rewarding, but it feels like that's a captive audience kind of thing. Like there are yeah. people that already know us. They kind of are already. Uh, that's mom telling you you're a handsome young man. Yeah, like they're, they're <laughs> people that at least you feel like are already on your team. And right. you, it's, I mean, I love the support and I really appreciate the support yeah, of some of my close friends and, and people that I know. But when you get it from like a complete stranger that found us some random way in the universe right it's it's pretty neat it was it was super neat and honestly i have to say like my first thought when i read it was oh my god did did my wife like pretend to be somebody to like (laughs) give me a little inspiration (laughs) and then i I thought a little more about my wife and i was like nope definitely wasn't my wife sending me inspiration (laughs) not her um no i agree and 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 like pandora dude like we weren't even on Pandora automatically. That was one of those things that just for some reason I stumbled across the thing that said, Hey, Pandora has podcasts. So I investigated it for the hell of it. And like, how hard is it to get on there? And it wasn't, you just applied and they did it. And I was like, how fucking cool is it that, yeah. that, that, I don't know. Really appreciated that email. 
Uh, so Jason, thank you. And uh, I hope we continue to be useful for you. Yeah. And uh, I also wanted to continue on with what you said about why we're doing this and what we're doing, because we have had some comments like, wow, sometimes it seems like it's just two guys sitting around talking. <laughs> and the truth is, yeah, that's pretty much what it is. Like yeah. I, I kind of thought about that and thought, yeah, that's, that is what it is. You know, it's not a meeting. It's not a place where we're trying to, you know, regurgitate literature at you or anything else. Um, I think it's the perspective of two people that are living this path of recovery, that the struggles, the challenges, the benefits, you know, and the spiritual aspects of living. And I don't pretend that what everything we're saying is going to save everybody, but to get people to think about these things and, and why they're doing these things and how to live a better life. Like that's the whole point is to get people to think for themselves on some of these topics. Yeah, definitely. Even if you completely disagree with us, I think you're yeah. still fitting the the purpose, right? I still I still think that's the idea, just to get you thinking about where do you stand and how to follow that path of where you stand, right? It's not about us being right or having the right solution for anybody. Yeah, and if and I just like to continue with that and say if you disagree, <laughs> please reach out to us. Email oh, yeah. You know, is probably one of the easiest ways to make a longer point. But, you know, (laughs) we're on Twitter. You can email. Um, Again, I'm always open minded to other points of view, other ways of looking at things. Maybe I missed something, you know, continuing on in this journey. It isn't about coming in and spewing some important stuff and moving (laughs) on with my life. Like I think about this stuff a lot. And a lot of these topics are are ongoing. The struggles with anxiety, the struggles with relationships, the struggles with with living in recovery mm. are always there. And I can only continue to get better by having more points of view. Yeah. We're, we're currently like 45 minutes late recording this podcast. Cause we just disagreed on the subject. <laughs> and couldn't stop talking about it for 45 minutes. So absolutely. Uh, if you disagree, you are part of the clan. I was just thinking when you were mentioning that, that conversation and two guys talking. So there was a point early on in my recovery where I spent about six months working with this guy doing landscaping who was also, you know, right around the same amount of time in recovery. We were just working next to each other, doing, you know, all kinds of different landscaping tasks. But we talked recovery and concepts and literature and stuff all day long. And it's like one of the healthiest places I've ever been in my life. And I actually revisited that and through weird life circumstances, ended up working next to the same guy, like, 10 years later and it was like <laughs> we did the same exact thing oh, and it's just so cool. healthy to just rehash <laughs> ideas and talk about them and uh so we won't we won't beat that to death but yeah that is kind of what we what we're hoping for here is just to get people talking and thinking about you know what do we want out of life um another thing we wanted to announce a, a milestone for us we're excited about probably not a huge thing in the the world of you know podcasting but we have hit the milestone of having a thousand downloads or, or listens or whatever you want to call them. Um, and that's pretty cool feeling. Do you have any feelings about that? Yeah, I was pretty excited about that too. I kind of, um, when I went into this thought, well, we'll just start doing it and we'll see what happens. And I really felt like it was going to be difficult in the world of podcasts. Now knowing how many of them are out there and how many people think, Oh, you just start a podcast and it'll be great. And you'll make all this money. <laughs> like I had set myself up for, I'm willing to do this and keep doing it as long as you and I feel like getting together and having a conversation. Right. Because this spurred from us just getting together, meditating and having a conversation. Like <laughs> right, that's right. We were doing that without anybody recording anything. And 
you know, it was kind of like, well, let's just do it and record it and see what happens. And, uh, you know, slowly our listeners keep growing. We keep getting, you know, our, our audience estimated audience goes up and, right. you know, new people are finding us. So it's, it's awesome. I'm just really excited. I don't even understand completely what all the statistics mean. Honestly, I'm like, <laughs> is this people who like download and listen to the first two minutes and then turn it off before we even talk? I have no, I, I really don't, but whatever. It seemed cool. Um, the whole idea of even thousand numbers and stuff like that blows my mind. Which uh, yesterday, so look, I've never, you know, look, I know how many years I have, right? But I don't follow days a lot. There's the weird day milestones that I've never paid much attention to because I just don't pay much attention. But everybody on Twitter is always posting these strange number of days they have clean (laughs) or sober. And I was like, well, screw it. Let me check it out a couple weeks ago. And it happened to be I was close to a milestone. So I was like, well, I'll put that in my calendar because that's kind of neat. Uh, and so I did. And so yesterday I had 6,000 days clean Wow! and it was pretty cool feeling. Uh, so I guess today I have 6,001 or if you're listening <laughs> to this Tuesday, it'll be 6,002 or three, awesome. whatever. Yeah. Um, so I go home last night and I, and I text a guy just randomly about something else. And I, I mentioned it. I was like, what the hell? I got 6,000 days today. And so he happened to look his up and it's my buddy, Jason from, from down in Baltimore. And he had 500. His was an even number two. And I'm like, wow. what the fuck? What kind of weird coincidences are these things, right? Um, it's just strange to me. Well, congratulations on 6,000 days. That's well, thank awesome, you. Man. Yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know. Is that, It seems low. It always seems low when you count days for some reason. It seems like yeah. it should be like 75,000 days or something. But Get hours or minutes, then you can be in the millions. It's a shit ton, like right? That. Yeah, we got a second. <laughs> have more clean time than everybody, god damn it. Um, <laughs> No, honestly, and, and what I posted on Twitter about it is pretty much how I feel about it. Like on any given day, if I'm not upkeeping with what I need to do, man, I can still not want to be here. Right. Yeah. And that's just the the truth of my life. I don't know if it's like that for everybody, um, but there's a fuck ton of really good days in my life because I, I am able to do a lot of these practices. And, and thank God for that, man. I've enjoyed a lot of these 6,000 days. Um. So we wanted to get into recapping. We talked about step two last week. Uh, and so we, you know, posted that on some social media outlets and, and got some feedback. Um, Brian on Facebook, his idea of step two was, do I have faith and trust that something, someone loving and caring and greater than me can bring me back to a healthy, rational way of thinking and living? And I, I think that's a pretty standard concept of, of step two. You know, can something help me get better? Mm. Right. Um, and then on Twitter, you had uh, Serenity Press saying, if you've ever been in jail or the military, uh, you have no problem accepting that there's a power greater than you that can control your life. Um, and, I, and I thought that was an interesting idea. I've heard this before. I don't think we mentioned it last week at all. And just the idea of uh, there's definitely powers in our lives that, you know, are out of our control. I think last week we might have mentioned the sun and like gravity, like you're not going to jump off a building and then, you know, control that and float. Um, but we didn't mention like jails and, and institutions that you can't leave. Uh, so I know you didn't t- have yeah. a particular liking on this. <laughs> so that, this was part of our conversation before we started recording. And, <laughs> and I sort of went down a path of, well, I don't know. I think we do have some choices in using mm-hmm. um, that once we start, we're powerless, you know, and, and that I believe is true. But my choice to get clean this time, I wasn't locked up or in a facility or anywhere else. I woke up one day and said I was sick and tired of this life and sick and tired of living this way. And 
I knew there was a Narcotics Anonymous meeting and I had no idea what I was going to do or where I was going to go or how it was going to work. But I got up the next day, didn't get high and went to that meeting. And, Mm. you know, for me personally, like that was just a different choice that I made that day. And I don't know why, but no one forced it upon me, you know, and to me, like when I was in jail, I didn't get to wake up and make a different choice any day. You know, right. they told me what time chow was. They told me what time work duty was. They told me what time lights out were. And I didn't get to make any different decision. And I didn't get to make a choice of when I wanted to leave either. You right. know, they made that just choice for me, too. So for me, you know, my experience it, it being stuck in addiction was no one held a gun to my head or made me stay there. You know, it was my own choice because that was the best coping mechanism or coping skills I had at the time. Yeah, I don't I don't know for this particular sentiment of, you know, if you've been to jail, you can accept that there's a power greater than then it's really so much maybe the idea of, you know, that that addiction is like uh, being in jail, even though in in some ways in my mind, it definitely felt like it was for sure. Um, But I think this is probably one of those ways for for somebody who says. I'm not powerless or, or, you know, I don't, Hmm. I haven't lost control. I got total control over everything in my life. And and just to show people that there are powers greater than you, like this is one of them. The sun's one, prison's one, like they can lock your ass up, bro. Yeah. From that perspective. Yes. It definitely was a power greater than me. You know, like I didn't get to leave when I wanted to. I'm good now. You guys made your point. (laughs) Right. right. Thank you. Appreciate it. Didn't care. Um, just the T talked about something I think we did touch on, which was the came to believe and not instantly believe um, about being open to something greater than yourself. Uh, Wings of Recovery, the second step taught them faith. Uh, it says they had to believe in something that wasn't a person that living. It had to be maybe the rooms were a higher power when they first got here and they had to believe in people who had the clean time. They knew they couldn't do it alone. And I think I, I don't know if we talked about just not being able to do it alone. Did we? We might have. We yeah, we sort of touched on um, that we were not trusting of other people, um, but I don't know that we touched as much on the faith aspect. And mm. I really liked that when I read that comment. You know, for me that was important because up to that point, like I had pretty much resigned to like the world is, and maybe this was just a justification for some of my behaviors of lying, cheating, and stealing, and all that. But I had resigned myself to the fact of the world is just this hard, cold place where everybody's out mm. to get for themselves. And, you know, it's it's never going to be good. It's, right. it's always going to be a struggle and it's always going to be difficult. Um, you know, so I really didn't have a lot of faith that life could be happy and good and healthy. Right, know? right. No, I'm absolutely with you on that one. Um Somebody else had mentioned, Jen mentioned praying to the car gods for a safe ride somewhere. And, you know, she she brought up the whole group of drunks, group of drug addicts, good orderly direction. You know, the acronyms we can use for God if we don't believe in a particular God uh, early on or, or ever. Um, and, you know, I, yeah, I, I don't know if I've ever prayed to the car gods in particular, but but fuck it, man. I'd pray to any goddamn God if I thought it would help. Right. And. Honestly, in the way I see God, I, I wouldn't find it offensive to, you know, the whole even Game of Thrones idea of I pray to all the gods, the old ones and the new, right? It doesn't matter. I'll pray to car gods and airplane gods if I'm going on a flight. It, I, wouldn't, 
I don't think that would violate like what I believe in. Yeah, and and oddly enough, as as whatever you want to call it, difficult of an issue as I have with a God and praying and all that stuff, I still find myself doing it like a couple of times. So one of the, and I think I got this from a 10th step, like a lot of nights, probably not every night, but I would say probably at least three or four nights out of the week. Like when I'm laying down in bed, I am really grateful for my life. And I tend to thank God, like, thank God, you know, thank you for this life and this day Mm. and my family and all that I have. Like, and again, I don't think I'm praying out to some mystical guy in the sky or anything like that. I think it's a way for me to uh, rectify in my mind what's going on, to, to really touch the process of what's going on in my life and the miracle that's happening. Right. Um, but then, like, last night I found myself, so we were at a, a public function with a lot of people. This is a setting that I hate. It's a big group of a bunch of people. Um, there's a, some of them are my friends, but it's a lot of people that you sort of surface know and political people. And it's kind of a recovery event. And, um, my wife was a big part of it. So I'm really there to support her. And, uh, I forget all that and I get caught up in my own anxiety and all that stuff. And so I went into the bathroom and I just prayed and said, God, help me to remember, like, this isn't about me. It's about my wife. And I'm just here to love her and support her and to be, you know, in appreciation of all that she does. Hmm. And again, I don't know why I pray. (laughs) That's a strange thing to say. Like, I don't I don't know that I even believe in it, but I do it anyway. So maybe that's a thing of faith. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> and that's an interesting thing to me because what I found with uh, a lot of people that may come in and, and ask me for any kind of guidance whatsoever, which I still question them. Um, but they say, if they say they don't have any real particular belief system, my suggestion is just pray, see what happens. Right. Yeah. And my experience with that is usually through the evidence of the outcome of the prayers or the evidence of however that works out in their life they do to come to an understanding and a belief system for themselves. So to know that you pray and to see what your life is and say, at least from my perspective, damn, prayers are working out pretty well. <laughs> uh, it's hard to, it's weird to think yeah. that you, that hasn't led you to some relationship with something at this point, right? Because obviously it has at some points, just not so much right now. Yeah. Well, I had my, one of my previous sponsors explained prayer is more of like a, cognitive behavioral thing mm. than a spiritual thing so i always <laughs> go back to that like i'm really just rewiring circuitry in my brain to focus on the things that i think are important that i need to be focused on that wasn't my 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 asian guy is it yeah was it really <laughs> damn it that just knocked him down a notch. i like that guy until now well um, he didn't explain it as a cognitive thing like that that's just my take on what oh, okay okay I, I, he's back up in my He sort of made it, he, he presented it from the mystical way of like, it's, and again, I'm going to paraphrase, but prayer is a way of us sort of, of, I don't want to make it sound too woo woo, but manifesting. Like, yes. Manifesting yes. what we want in our lives, cool. bringing to, to light, bringing to the forefront, you know, what yeah. our desires and wishes are. So he is once again, my guru. <laughs> Uh, and one last idea about step two, uh, Brian on Twitter, a different Brian who is a Y and not an I said, when you're sick and damn tired of being sick and damn tired, you become willing. And that's powerful for us. And I would have to agree with that. I don't think we mentioned being sick and tired last week. 
Uh, I guess that is part of it, though, for sure. Like, I've heard that so many times. Sick and tired of being sick and tired, then we'll do something different. Right? Yeah, and there's some sayings uh, in our fellowship. Uh, one of them they talk about is the gift of desperation. You know, when mm. we're desperate, we become willing. <laughs> you know, like we get a little more open-minded when we're beaten down enough. You know? Right, right. Yeah, that's for sure. Just an aside before we hop right into this, uh, we just, as we were sitting here recording this morning, got our thousandth Twitter follower. So that's kind of cool, oh, I nice. guess. I don't know what the fuck that really means, yeah. except that I follow a bunch of fucking people and talk a lot, but it's cool nonetheless. Um, so the topic we want to get into is the idea of, you know, is being anonymous in long-term recovery beneficial for persons in recovery? Is it beneficial for persons who struggle with addiction? Um, and so basically I, I kind of, I mean, this is always a topic, right? We talk about stigma and the stigma against, you know, people who have used drugs at some point, whether they've gotten themselves together or not in their past. Um, it's something that, you know, we, we deal with on a regular basis. Like, is this going to hurt me in my life if I tell people about it? We started this podcast and I was kind of on the side of, I don't want to use my last name. I'm not sure I want to put any pictures of myself up to associate with this. Like I'm kind of going into a professional career at some point and I don't know how this holds up me getting a license or how people might view me if they were thinking about coming to see me in that capacity professionally, if they knew this about my history. And again, all the stigma that comes along with that, right? That's exactly what I'm trying to avoid. Um, and I woke up, uh, this was February 4th. So I guess that's like two weeks ago at this point. And I was just overcome with this idea that like, I can't be anonymous anymore. Like I just woke up with this one Tuesday morning, I think it was. And it was like, I, I just fucking can't do it anymore. This isn't right. This isn't for me. This isn't what I need to do. I need to fix shit. I need to fight things. I need to stand up and be who I am. And, and look, this isn't a, while this kind of happened overnight onto a Tuesday morning, right? This idea isn't something that happened in one moment. Just this whole concept of becoming more self-accepting, more self-loving, appreciating who I am as a person and being more okay with that and more okay that I don't really, I, you know, for lack of better words, I just don't give as much of a fuck now if people know who I am and, and what I really stand for, right? I, I'm okay enough with it that fuck it. This is me, right? Judge it all you want, but this is what I am and I'm good with it for the most part. Uh, and I don't know if that's a, a factor of getting older, a factor of more recovery, a factor of therapy, a factor of what, but it's comfortable. I'll tell you that it's nice to be able to freely be yourself. Um, and so when I woke up on that Tuesday morning, I posted this on a Facebook group that I'm a part of that has quite a few members in our area, sort of it's in Baltimore. It's not quite where we're at today. And it says, during my first year clean, especially the first six months, I told everyone I saw that I used to shoot heroin and coke. And then I was a proud member of Narcotics Anonymous, which had saved my life. And it was true, man. I would like, you'd be ringing me up for a water and a candy bar at 7-Eleven and I'm <laughs> fucking telling you how it saved my life. And I, I just couldn't stop talking about it because I was so excited that it had, honestly. Um, and the post goes on. Over time, I grew quieter about that part of my life. No less proud to be clean but reluctant to tell people and hope to just kind of pretend it didn't exist because I didn't want to be judged. Stigma, exactly what we're talking about. Um, maybe it was shame creeping back in. 
Was I just so amazed by the miracle in the beginning? Maybe everyone early on knew I had been a using addict, so just claiming to be clean was an improvement. But as I came into contact with other people, I could hide it. Uh, And I, I put that I'm starting to think I did not do my part to lessen stigma, that possibly I could have been open about my truth the whole time and done a better service to us all. If I don't share the setback, people can't see the miraculous comeback, right? And kind of the whole idea of like, if I don't tell people how rough my life was or how terrible it got, how could I ever convince them that a miracle had been performed, right? If all they ever see is, oh, hey, you do well in life, they would never know that that's a real fucking miracle from where I come from sleeping outside, <laughs> right? Uh, and so I don't know, that's where we're at to talk about that. Where, where do you, what do you got to start us off, Bill? Yeah. So immediately what I, in my heart, what I hear is that's a beautiful, uh, result of recovery is what I would call it. Like that is an awakening of your spirit Mm. that is now becoming alive and a part of who you are and what your values are and what's important to you and having the courage to step away from the fear of judgment and criticism of others and what people might think of you to, to be the people that we truly are, you mm-hmm. know, to be the people that we were, to, that if you want to look at it this way, that God truly made us to be. Um, to me, that's what I hear. Like mm-hmm. that's what your spirit is calling you to do. And so you're stepping out on some faith and doing it. And it's amazing because there can be negative repercussions. And we've all, you know, or I can't say we've all, I've been in the same situation at times. You know, I've always been, I'll say, fairly open about my recovery in as much as I've shared recovery things on my Facebook, you know, over time or any social media. Um, I've shared about whatever, new meetings, anniversaries, all that sort of stuff, just in my general Facebook. I never really cared that much. Um, and I think that for me, um, there have been times where I've thought, oh shit, you know, nowadays people go look at that when you're applying for jobs or doing different things. And what if people go back and they'll see me sharing this stuff and, and having this stuff on my, and how is that going to reflect on me? And for the most part, I just say, man, fuck it. You know, it is, I can't change it now. It is what it is. And if they see it, they see it and make whatever judgment they're going to make. And, uh, you know, it's not, I mean, I guess I could go back and try to delete all the posts and all that Mm -hmm. stuff, but, and for us in particular. So, you know, we've talked about briefly on here a few years back, you know, my wife and I sold all our stuff. I left a job that I was at for 16 years and we started applying for jobs at different places. And not just, this wasn't just applying for one job where you would get an interview, but you were applying at different jobs every couple months because you were moving from one job, you know, you'd work at one campground for a season and then go to another job for a season and then go to another job for a season. So this was repeatedly applying for jobs. And every time that fear creeping in of like, are these people going to go look at my Facebook? It's real easy to look me up. You know, it's real easy to go find out who we are. Um, And then just being like, well, that's who I am. You know, that's just, that's just who I am. And I'm okay with that today. Um, I think another part of your beginning story is so like most of these principles, you know, this principle of anonymity and what it means. Uh, we don't fully understand what it means when we get here. That's for sure. Um, we don't, we don't quite get, you know, what, 
the the protection that it gives to the fellowship, the protection that it gives to the individual right. um, and those things. And as we stay in this process of recovery, we really start to work steps. We get up to a 12th step, you know, where we have this spiritual awakening and we realize, you know, the benefits of anonymity um, and a full understanding of what that is like honesty. You know, we learn about honesty early in recovery and it's like, well, I think that bitch is ugly. So I should just <laughs> tell her that she's ugly, you know, cause I'm honest today. That's who I am. And right. it's like, well, not exactly. That's, you know, yes, that's honesty, but that's not what we're talking about. Right. You know, or that's not a spiritual application of that principle. And, and, uh, and, and as we'll find out later in a different uh, podcast, I'm sure sometime we'll talk about it. That's not actually honesty or truth either. Yeah. Well, yeah. But the, the point being, we, we learn um, what these principles really mean and how to apply them fully in our lives. And so, you know, a misconception that I think a lot of people look at anonymity and, you know, we talk about anonymity being the spiritual foundation of our traditions and things like that. We're not talking about, I don't believe, we're not talking about protection for the individual. We're talking about protection for the fellowship as a whole. And that if I want to out myself as being in a person in recovery, to me, to simplify, what that means is I don't run around and tout what fellowship I'm in or say that it's the right one or say that it's the better than all the other ones. But there's no parts in our literature that I've read or that I've interpreted to say that I shouldn't be out you know, telling people, yes, I am a person in recovery. I've used to be an addict and I found a path out of that. And my life is inherently better now because of that. Right. So one of the things uh, that we're going to get into after the break coming up here is that a lot of people talk about the personal protection of remaining anonymous, right? Avoiding the stigma of it, avoiding the repercussions that can have for our professional lives or our personal lives. Um, And one of the things you are sort of touching on here also like not that I need to be anonymous, but there is a protection of I don't want to be the only representation of narcotics anonymous that someone has in their life. Right. right? Or of any fellowship or of recovery itself. Honestly, right. <laughs> like if I am the only thing you ever know about recovery, Hey, nine days out of 10, that might be really cool. But then when I do something really shitty, right? Like I don't want to be the guy who's like, Oh man, then people in that place just do this. Right. Or, especially early on running around and talking about it. And it, what if I wouldn't have made it that time? Oh, well that, that shit he was talking about obviously don't work. Right. It worked for a couple of months, but now he's right back to where he was. Um, so I do see how being a little bit more anonymous than I was being then was probably useful. Um, before we get any further, let's take a break and, and uh, you know, play our ad for voices and then we'll be right back. This episode has been brought to you by voices of hope, Inc a nonprofit grassroots recovery community organization located in Maryland. Voices of Hope is made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity and respect of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopececilmd.org and consider donating to our cause. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, here we are. We're back. Uh, so to get into some of the comments that originally happened on this post, and I think that might help guide us in the direction of, of conversing about this topic. Uh, the first person that responded almost instantly to when I posted it just said, you OK? <laughs> and uh, I don't know if that's a function of like that. I don't always post on Facebook that often or, you know, that I was asking about a topic that maybe had some feeling behind it and maybe there was some concern. I pre- I believe it was genuine concern, which was nice. Like that people genuinely concerned about me. Uh, but it, it was a little like, why wouldn't I be okay? I'm just talking about whether I should be anonymous or not. What do you, what did you think about that reply? Yeah. Well, I think, uh, that's good. Maybe people get concerned. Um, when they see us acting out of character, mm, you know, right. like, to, to see like, Hey, is everything going all right? You know, like, <laughs> I or guess maybe they just saw your name and say, Hey, I haven't seen you in a while. It, it very well could have been, it could have been just as simple as that. But I do know that when I say something like this, uh, or if I were to say something like this, I probably wouldn't at this point in time, I usually just remain quiet. But if I saw a post where I wanted to ask, are you okay? I'm probably thinking, should we piss test you? Like, <laughs> like that's really the sentiment I'm getting at when I say it. So I, I don't think that's what they meant, but possibly, uh, but yeah, Hey, whatever. Thanks for checking on me. Yeah, right? I'm, right. I'm not taking it personal at all. Um, Rachel decided to, to talk about, you know, how each person is a little different. Um, some people need to know more than others. Each person needs to carry themselves different about whether they want to be forthcoming or not. And and I think this is where I got into a, a sort of debate with a couple of people, right? Because before this Tuesday morning that I posted this, I would be in 100% agreement that it was none of anybody else's business and I should kind of stay more hush-hush unless this, the situation needed me to do something different than that. Um, and so my debate was, almost looking for a, where's the right and wrong of this, right? Like, mm. yeah, some of us can expose ourselves if we feel that that's the right thing to do for us. And other people cannot expose themselves if they think that's the right thing to do for their life, the way it's going. But is that helping the stigma, right? If 500 addicts are coming forth and saying, hey, we used to have struggles with drugs and now we're doing better, people do recover, that's helpful. If 5,000 do it, that's much more helpful, right? That's much more lessening stigma. If if half the United States comes out and says, hey, we used to have a drug problem and now we're, you know, we're able to be fine and we need to stop treating people with drug problems as animals and less than that's a big deal. Whereas if only 10,000 people come forward, it's not. So I, I guess my argument to their point was not that I don't somewhat understand where people get to choose their destiny, but is there a right and wrong for this? Like, do we all need to do it and have the unified front in order for it to really have the power we need it to have? I think that depends on whether you feel like it's your responsibility to combat stigma or not, you know? And, yeah. and that again gets back to, 
my spiritual growth as an individual. What are my values? What are my mm. beliefs? How do I think that I become the biggest benefit to the people and lives in the world around me? And in my case, it's that I don't really, you know, I'm willing to take the risks of, you know, being a person in recovery. I mean, and, and like I'll say, like at my job, I don't run around and tell people I'm in recovery and talk 12 step language at them or anything like right. that. But everyone there knows that I don't drink or do drugs, that there was a time in my life that I did drink and do drugs, that there was a time in my life that I've been in jail, that I wasn't a good person. Mm. Um, over the years of being at my job, some people have talked to me about that stuff, or usually on a quiet side note. Um, people have come to me in conversation about family members, you know, is usually when it's come up, right. you know, Hey, I'm battling with whatever. Um, I have another kind of, I would call it a benefit in that my wife is actively engaged in the political recovery community in mm. this small area that we live. Right. And I, you know, if people ask, Oh, so what's your wife do? You know, well, she runs a nonprofit that helps people with addiction. Like mm. that's, that sort of sets me, I don't want to say it sets me up to be out in recovery because it's easy to say there are people that run nonprofits all the time that right. don't necessarily struggle with whatever the nonprofit is. It's definitely a door opener for the conversation. But, right. <laughs> but it opens people up to think that I may be a resource for them to come to, whether right. they have a family member, friend. But, you know, that was the case at my job before any of that anyway. And then on a one-on-one, -on -one, you know, or a personal conversation, I've said I go to 12 step meetings and blah, 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 you know, and I'll get more into detail if the conversation presents itself that way. Um, but there's been times in my recovery where I ran around wearing NA t-shirts and all mm. that kind of stuff. I don't do that anymore. Um, my wife doesn't really do that anymore either, mostly because she did go get so involved in the sort of political thing right. but she definitely wears all the support your local needle exchange and right. you know recovery saves lives got and narcan she's, yeah got narcan like she wears all that stuff you know proudly where we go and right you know that is just the people that we are and we are totally willing to take whatever criticism judgments you know stigma comes with that because Anyone that knows us, especially now, especially being sort of a public face in a community, knows the kind of people that we are, you know, and if they want to talk about where we came from, that's fine. I have nothing to be ashamed of now. Mm. Um, but it doesn't mean the fear goes, you know, there's still always that fear that this person's going to judge me for what I used to be. Right. You know, and what I've learned in recovery is that courage is having the ability to walk through fear. It's not the absence of fear. It's the ability to walk through fears. Absolutely. And so when I worked a 12 step and, you know, had my spiritual awakening as a result of the steps, you know, I've decided that I want to carry this message to addicts, not just addicts in Narcotics Anonymous rooms, not just addicts that are asking for help, not just addicts that, you know, come trying to kick my door down to get help. Any addict that's suffering from the disease of addiction should know that there is a way out, that there are options and that you don't have to live this way anymore. Right. No, absolutely. Uh, you know, we if we were completely 1000 percent anonymous, um, 
well, first we would break math, but if we were 100% <laughs> anonymous, uh, nobody would ever know we existed to find the help that they might need in our, in our, you know, locations and, and program meetings. Um, I do want to clarify that like with all these conversations that I talked about on, on this post in general, I have a high respect for quite a few of these people that I interact with on Facebook. I, I appreciate their recovery. I appreciate their thoughts, right? Um, really, uh, very respectful conversation was had on this. None of it was about belittling somebody else's idea or arguing about who was right or wrong. It was just a very interesting discussion of some different viewpoints, right? And I look, I like my viewpoints, right? As a as a guy who appreciates the way he thinks, I yeah, whatever, call that narcissistic or, or <laughs> self-centered. I I like my viewpoints on things. I think I think through things and I enjoy that process of it. And I enjoy coming to a conclusion that I think works for me. Right. Does not mean that I think I come up with every viewpoint ever. Right. And this is why I like to have discussions to hear some other input. Oh shit. Rachel and Shannon said some shit in a way I'd never heard it. Right. Or never thought about it or Billy or, or Jason, or there's always somebody pointing something out. And I'm like, Ooh, that's, that's more juicy shit for me to think about. Right. <laughs> um, and so I don't want to, I don't want to come across in any way during this conversation as if any of these people I interacted with are wrong or I was, you know, I was showing them who was boss. It was definitely not like that. It was just an interesting conversation. Um, I, I am tending to fall towards the side of, for me, I, I almost think we, we need to come out in droves at this moment. And look, I might change my mind in six months and be like, thank God all them people didn't listen to me and come out and drove, yeah, right? right? That was a, would have been a terrible idea. Uh, but right now, I'm almost starting to believe that, right? Like maybe we all knew. If everybody you knew that was an addict all of a sudden came out as an addict to you and you had that shocking revelation of like, oh, fuck, like my hairdresser and my bank teller and right. all these fucking people, right? Like maybe it does work. Yeah. Maybe people aren't just pieces of shit forever, right? <laughs> there like, you go. Yeah, and and it's funny, you know, some of the people that I love the most and respect the most, you know, in recovery now are people that are very anonymous in mm -hmm. their lives and professional careers. And they, you know, wholeheartedly feel that it would be a detriment to them to come out and maybe a detriment to their business or a detriment right. to, you know, whatever. And I totally appreciate that. You know what I mean about them? I would never try to out them or force them into an awkward situation, right, right. you know, because again, what's, what's right for me isn't what's right for everyone else. I mean, again, I'm the same, obviously I think, well, if everybody lived the way I live, it would be a better place. Right. Um, I definitely think that, but mm. I don't think that I have all the answers or that I am right. And like say, who's to say in two or three years from now, my life situation change and all of a sudden, you know, right. Whatever addicts <laughs> are the next, you know, we should all be locked up and thrown in jail for 20 years. You know, we go back to something like that. And then all of a sudden, you know, right. I'm fucked <laughs> because I'm all out, you know? Um, so I don't think that, it is a right or wrong. I, again, I think the the journey of the steps and I tend to tell people this, you know, my understanding of the steps is there isn't a right or wrong on that path. There isn't a goal. I mean, obviously abstinence and a better life is the goal, but you know, your interpretation of these principles and how they apply in your life and how you choose to use them is all your individual journey, right. you know, and, and my goal or, through the process is to be the best person that I can be. 
Mm. And again, in my life right now, I just find that there are a lot of suffering addicts out there that have maybe tried 12 steps at one point or another or who have come in for a couple minutes and felt judged or criticized or somebody was rude to them or whatever, whatever their bad experience was. Because people have bad experiences in 12-step meetings. Yeah. You know, people have um, all kinds of, of bad interactions with individuals inside of 12-step organizations where they're judged and criticized and, the, you know, and in a fragile state of early recovery, like that can be really emotionally detrimental, you know, right. <laughs> and to try to kind of um, be a, a loving, supporting voice for people that may just may be willing to open that door. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Um, I agree. And we kind of have gone over the concept before where a lot of the people who aren't thrilled with the way uh, the program might have not worked out, they might be the people coming back to places and giving feedback about how it doesn't work. But the people it does work for, we all just kind of go off and live our lives and get quiet. So nobody's hearing the the idea that these places do work, right? Because right. we're not spouting that out. You're only hearing the idea, oh, yeah, that stuff doesn't work for me. I got to try something else uh, over and over again. Yeah. And there's a, you know, if anyone's really interested, there's a documentary out called The Anonymous People. And it's about that. It's about, you know, being in recovery, ways that you can come out of anonymity, but still respect the anonymity of your individual pathway of recovery. Um, And some of the reasons why, some of the beliefs that, you know, sort of a little bit of what I talked about of, of people have sort of hijacked this principle of anonymity and then used it in a really, uh, what I would call derogatory way for the recovery movement. And that, like you say, when you go to local health offices or health, you know, politicians or, you know, your local health officer, like they are not hearing from the people that are in you know, 12-step recovery or abstinence-based recovery for a long time because we just go off and become healthy, working, tax-paying community members, you know, and we're showing up at Little League to be Little League coaches and showing up for, you know, sporting events and supporting the local, you know, whatever, uh, parades and the local activities and the local vendors and You know, we went from robbing and stealing from our community to being active members in our community. But no one sees that because we're so worried about, you know, staying under the radar and not letting anyone know who we are, that it does a disservice to the recovery movement. Right, right. Well, so it says uh, in the traditions, you know, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities, right? Right. And we, we say that a lot and we say it means this, you know, what you hear here. And, and we say all kind of stuff about it. And we talk about anonymity as in like nobody should know that I come here. I, maybe some portion of anonymity does mean that, right? But this portion of anonymity right here, what I've read is that this is all about the idea of just selfless service, mm-hmm. right? It's giving in the spirit of I'm not trying to get acclamation for all these great deeds I've done. I'm just doing them because they need to be done and I w- want them to be done. Right. I want to act in ways that uh, are good for society or the fellowship or, or for whatever, and not have to get 
you know, my name or an award for it at the same time. That's what this spirit of anonymity is talking about. It's the spirit of just doing the right thing and not needing someone to praise me for it. Right. And, and trying to make our decisions based on what's good for the whole of the fellowship, you know, the whole of the, the organization that we're a part of, you know, for me, you know, I might personally view it as a benefit to the quote unquote recovery movement to out some of these professional business people and to say, look at these people, you know what I mean? They're, they're <laughs> totally successful. They used to be drug addicts and they come to these 12 steps. Right. You know, that might be really powerful in that message. Um, but it undermines that person and it undermines the principles of our fellowship, you know? Right. So understanding that principle of anonymity is for the protection of the fellowship and the protection of the other individuals, you know, and, and, the whole of the, the fellowship and that recovery pathway is the important piece there. Absolutely. And so we, we've gotten away from some of these comments. So let's hop back <laughs> onto them while we're, you know, get back on tracks. Uh, Stephanie definitely, you know, fell to the side of not being as open or maybe unanonymous about it. Um, and one of the things, the, the thing that really stuck out from her post was she told me to stop thinking. Um, and I, and I love Stephanie dearly for sure, but I think that's the opposite of what I want to do, honestly. Right. Like I love these conversations about it and, and I've run into many people who, who I respect their recovery. Absolutely. They've got double digits and 20 sums and their whole principle is keep it simple. And I don't want to think deeply about any of this stuff. Like I don't want to theorize and, and, and all that. And there's nothing wrong with that take on recovery, right? That's just, Definitely not what keeps me spiritually grounded is not thinking, right? I need to think and delve into these topics. Not that I really need an answer. I just need to think and talk about them because that's what keeps me, uh, right. you know, on a straight and narrow. Um, we go down to Patrick and Patrick said that, you know, there's a reason that enemy is the base of all our traditions. We call it the sacred code of conduct. It's how we deal with the deal with it at the public level. Um, and he mentions, and so I, I kind of disagree with a portion of that, um, based on what I just told you about what I read about the traditions being in something a little different, but he says in the next sentence, my life speaks volumes to the people that knew me in active addiction. The spiritual principle is the laws of attraction. I don't need to stand on a mountaintop and shout my recovery to anyone. And so I appreciate him saying that. Um, and I, and I totally get that. Right. But for a guy like me, uh, that doesn't work because the people who I knew in active addiction don't see me today. Um, I'm not living in the same area as I used to when I used. Uh, I'm not around the same people. I don't interact with any of those people. They don't ever see the benefits of what my recovery has done. So for somebody that, you know, maybe they used in Florida and then got clean in Maine, um, their life isn't going to speak volumes of the miracle that that took place in recovery. They're never going to know anything about that. And um, that's that's kind of a tough piece for me to understand. I guess for somebody who used in one area and then got clean in that same area and stayed there, their life will speak volumes of how the change happened, right? But for somebody who uses one place and then ends up living their recovery life somewhere completely different, their life-changing situation is never going to be seen by the people in their life. And so that doesn't really apply for them. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, I agree with what you're saying, but I would go on to say, even in a small community, I mean, I used right here in Cecil County, 
all the trouble I got in. I was in the local detention center. You know what I mean? Right. And now after all these years clean, I mean, the amount of people that I interact with that I knew from back then are a minuscule amount. I right. mean, there's, there's, if I see, you know, one person a year from my, what I would call old using life, you know, that's a lot. Right. And so no, the people that I, I mean, my family obviously sees a big difference, true, you know, the, the immediate family. Um, but in my case, my family, it wasn't, they aren't addicts or not all of them anyway, right. you know? Um, and for me personally, again, this is my personal beliefs of having worked a 12 step. Like I carry a way more powerful message by showing up and being a coach on the local, you know, little league team and being a person that's like, Hey, I used to be, you know, see all these homeless addicts around here that everyone hates and that thinks we should be locking up and throwing away the key. I used to be one of them. And if we can get these people into treatment and get them, you know, the, the help that they need to change their lives, just maybe they'll be out here in 20 years being a parent to their kid coaching mm -hmm. little league and being a, a positive influence on the community. Because I can tell you like right here in Elkton for, and this is hard. I mean, I see it myself, you know, when we talk about the stigma, like last year, you know, we go out for spring baseball and we go out to start cleaning the fields and getting ready. And in all the dugouts, that's where a lot of the homeless people and the addicts had been sleeping most of the winter. They mm. would go in there, kind of seal up the dugouts, you know, so there was needles in there, dirty needles. There was people pissing and shitting in the corners, mm. you know, it was gross. It was right. totally disgusting. And uh, as a parent with kids thinking, great, now I got to bring my kids out here to be around this, you know, and and feeling that anger as a recovering person. Right. Like, God, even these addicts can't even have any respect for fucking kids places. Right. You know, like there was anger there with that. Mm. Um, and so I have I don't have to. I would like to be an example that we can and do change, that we can be something different, that we're not stuck doing that for the rest of our lives. Right. No, I think that's powerful. Uh, that was a pretty, pretty powerful story. You know, the fact that we do get frustrated with people who do things that, that are very similar to maybe what we used to do or, or could have been similar to what we used to do. Um, yeah. So I get what Patrick's saying, right? Like uh we can be a story for those who saw the worst part of it, even if that was just my mother. Maybe she's the only one who knows that anymore. Um, but couldn't we reach more if that wasn't the only people we were, you know, open to about who we are? Um, and I don't know the answer for that. Again, we're, we're, we're kind of going over this together. Um, and then we come to the first Shannon, uh, who she says that, Stigma ended when I surrendered and decided to live a life without drugs, sticking around to recover and finding a new way to live. And uh, this is one of the things I would have to disagree with that completely. Right. Just by what I understand stigma to be. Not that I have any issue with this uh, Shannon whatsoever. Um, I do think a lot of things changed when I surrendered and stuck <clears throat> around to recover and found a new way to live. Sure. But I don't think stigma ended. People didn't look at me different just because I was doing something different. And that's part of the problem. Um, 
I I still face stigma, right? So I don't, maybe not about the, the, you know, I can hide and not tell anybody that I'm in Narcotics Anonymous. I can hide and not say I'm in recovery. A lot of people would never know that about me. Um, but they do know my record. I can't hide that one when right. I apply for jobs, right? When I apply for anything. Um, I've thought about coaching Little League and guess what they usually want to do? They want to run a background check. And I'm actually so nervous that I would, be denied and how I would feel about that, how much it would hurt me that I've just, I've always said, Oh, I don't have time to do that. And I want to be honest. So there have been years cause you have to fill out one of those applications every year. There have been years. I put that stuff on there that I have DUIs and CDS possession charges. Right. Um, and it didn't matter. So I don't put it on there anymore. Just mm. not because I'm necessarily trying to lie or cover anything. The truth is it's kind of hard to remember like the years and what the charges actually were. Like, I don't actually remember. Oh, we can look you up. Yeah. (laughs) You can look up court. You can't actually look up outcomes and stuff. I don't think. No, it's all in there. Oh, is it? Uh, Maryland judiciary case search. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But you know, I, I don't know. I, I have put that stuff on those applications and it didn't matter. I don't right. know how far they go back, but I, I really don't either. I don't know if it's what charges or not. Um, I just to uh, expose myself a little here. I I have a couple of felonies, um, and they have held me up in life, right? And every time I want to apply for a job, I got to worry about that fear of how that's going to turn out, right? Is this going to pop up and and hold me up? Um, every time I think I'm at a job and I'm like, this isn't really what I want to do. I want to. I want something different than this. I generally tend to stay where I'm at because I know they've already accepted that I have those charges. Right. And I don't have to go through the whole fear and embarrassment of exposing myself again. Um, During my college education, I've had to do some, some internships. I've been turned down. Right. We're talking uh, 14 years after the charges and nothing to do with like violence or harming anyone in particular. And I was not allowed to do an internship where I taught inner city youth how to read. Mm. It was turned down and it hurt my fucking feelings. Right. And then I tried to, I was with the United way for a while at an internship. Um, and I was supposed to be taking calls on their, their two one one hotline, which is like a helpline. And because I would have access to records for typing in their information when like uh, homeless or struggling persons called in and needed help and wanted some access to resources because I'd have access to their names. I was not allowed to take phone calls and help people. And again, floored and hurt and devastated. And it's like, how the fuck long do I have to pay a price for this and live with the stigma of the things I've done? And so it's, Yeah, I think that's part of the reason I've wanted to continue to hide as often as possible, because I've had these these negative reactions that people have had towards me where they're not seeing the person I am. They're seeing some shit that happened quite a long time ago at this point. Uh, And it really gets me going. I don't want to get into that today about the whole, uh, you know, I thought I'd paid my debt to society and we were all even and all that great stuff. But Maybe we'll get to that on another podcast where I'll get really fucking amped up and angry about some shit. But well, it, it hurts, man. And maybe recovery has 
again, awaken that part of your spirit that says, I am a stronger person today and I can stand up for the next guy that's coming down this road, that they don't have to go through this bullshit. Yeah. And that I went through it, but now I am, I can be stronger and better for it and I can do what I can to, to make a change, you know, be the change you seek in the world. So funnily <laughs> enough, when I was at the United Way, a lot of the people there had some inspirational quotes. Like a lot of people there are really good people that believe in some positive things, right? Whatever you think about the United Way in general, the people there are pretty positive. And uh, as this was happening and I found out what was going on and that I wouldn't be able to do that, um, one of the quotes was, plant trees, the shade of which you will never enjoy. Hmm. Right. And that just really that hit home with me. It's like I do need to do something about this and how people are treated, whether it ever helps me or not. Like I need to set a standard that we need to stop fucking treating people this way because um, you're losing out on people that want to help. I'm sitting right. here volunteering. Right. right. I want to help people. And you're like, no, nope, no, nope, you're not good enough to help our people. And I'm like, what the fuck? Um, and now you're inspired. So now I feel like I got to go back and change my application for Little League every year to make sure I put on there. Because I, I and this is a thing. Like this is where you grow in these conversations. Like I never realized. Like oh hey, the people looking at these applications, you know, maybe that'll cause them to look at some people a different way. Because again, I've been involved in the Little League for a lot of years now. I know a lot of those people. They've seen me down there at the fields. Um, they know my son, my daughter, you know, they know who we are right? and that when they see that on my record and then know me as an individual, they know that, you know, we aren't always just our past mistakes. We can grow and be something different from that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that does change minds. I would just, uh, man, it would hurt my feelings for you if they ever decided that you weren't allowed to do it one year just because of that. That mm -hmm. would really... It's like a crushing blow from my experience. Too egomaniac, but it would be their loss. You know, <laughs> I, I have a lot to offer. So, as an addict, I approach most things like an addict. And when I got into actually coaching little league, I went totally fucking overboard and watched hours of videos and coaching stuff and <laughs> do's and don'ts and research and read and you know, like because I want to be the best. I right. don't want to just be some fucking dad down there, you know not teaching kids. Like I want to be a great coach, a right. mentor, a teacher, a leader, you know, all those things. <laughs> That's hilarious. And so just to uh, steer us back a little on topic, uh, Susan mentioned that she felt like the quieter she is about, uh, I guess, recovery, the easier a relapse would be. And, uh, and I kind of like that sentiment, right? Like the more I can hide it and isolate it, the less people are holding me accountable in my life. And she does mention the word accountable too. And like, if people in my life and around me, yeah, that's great. If I stay in meetings and I, and I see people in my life a lot that are in recovery, but some people and me included, right? Like there was times in my life where my life kind of veered off in, in left field somewhere. And it wasn't that I wasn't a part of recovery. I still hit meetings. Uh, it was just a very busy life of, you know, forming a new career. It took a lot of time up. It took some schooling. I wasn't in that many meetings. A lot of the people that were involved in my daily life were not in recovery. And so if I'm not talking about it with them or ever mentioning it, I'm not being held very accountable. Yeah. And when we uh, were doing our traveling around, it was sort of difficult to get connected mm -hmm. with meetings for a couple of different reasons. Some of them personal, some of them just scheduling, you know, a lot of right. our times we were working were evenings, you know, and, and um, to not, 
uh, have that, I guess you would call it accountability, you know, was kind of weird. It, it did put me in a different frame of mind, you know. Um, I've actually had, so I had a sponsor for a long time who I was his only sponsor. He had kind of drifted away from recovery and wasn't really doing a whole lot. And he actually told me, and he ended up relapsing, whatever. But he had actually told me at one point, like, I was kind of the only thing really keeping him connected to recovery at all. Mm-hmm. Was that he had some accountability to me or responsibility, whatever, right. because of our relationship that we had built. And that uh, once that ended, you know, he left the fellowship and went and used. You know? right, right. And, uh, yeah, so there is some, I guess... I don't know if that would be truth to that or I think that, I mean, me personally, I think the bigger lesson there is that we just need to keep grounded and keep ourselves surrounded by people in recovery. No, absolutely. Absolutely. But I think, uh, you know, with her point, so say I can't get to a lot of meetings and I am in a work or school environment where it's not really recovery people and I don't tell them. And then I'm, they want me to be a part of, and they invite me out to happy hour or to a lunch where everybody's having a drink. Right. And then I want to feel accepted. And obviously alcohol is the only drug you have to explain why you don't use it. Right. So that makes you feel awkward. I I completely get it. If you've already told them, not that that means anything to some people, they might never even know that you can't drink if you say you're in recovery, but maybe that helps you in some way. Maybe somebody questions it like, really, you're going to have a drink. I thought you told me yesterday you were in recovery, right? Like it could help uh, to stay where we're trying to stay. And I actually have a little story that kind of proves her point. Um, (laughs) And I just thought about this. I was like, wow, that's kind of exactly what happened. It's exactly what you just described. So I had a previous sponsor went through a divorce, kind of got away from the fellowship and he had met a woman who she wasn't an addict he didn't know her from recovery Mm. they started dating um she liked to go out to whatever you know dance night at the local bar and they would go and she would have a couple of drinks or a glass of wine with dinner or whatever and then they would dance and you know have a good time right and he never bothered to tell her his past of being in recovery or being an addict or any of that stuff And one night he just decided, well, she's having a glass of wine with dinner. I can have a beer with dinner. And she never said a word. She didn't have any idea. Right. (laughs) And, uh, you know, after 17 years, he relapsed. Wow. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, so uh, there was actually a second Shannon, to move on to the next person, a second Shannon that uh, commented. And we had a a very thorough back and forth commenting session. she mentioned the same idea that much the same that, that Rachel had, uh, not that she stole the idea, just that they had similar takes on it, which I think is a very, you know, rational, popular take amongst people who have some recovery that there's no shame about being a recovering addict, but that we don't need to tell everybody and that we can expose ourselves when we find it necessary and useful for helping someone. Um, and I did appreciate it. And I think I, I, pushed back against Rachel and Shannon the most just because I I know them pretty well and I respect like their recovery and their time and their information. Like I've had conversations with these two before. Um, And so I I pushed back a little against them to try to get more into it. Right. That's what I was going for with both of them. It wasn't like to to argue with them. It was just like, Hey, what, what more you got to give me about that? Right. Let me poke you a little bit and see what else I can get out of that. Let's see if we can get to the bottom of something. Um, 
And so she, you know, she mentioned some some really good ideas. If you're starting a, a business cleaning houses and you're going to go in people's houses, do you really want to post on your, you know, your business page about how you used to shoot heroin? And I, I get it, right? Like that. I'm not probably going to hire the 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 guy who tells me, or at least if I wasn't the guy I am. I mean, I I have a belief in recovering addicts, but if I'm not me, if I'm your average Joe. <clears throat> I'm probably not going to hire the guy I know, you know, nine months ago he was shooting cocaine or, or robbing, you know, my neighbor. He broke into my neighbor's house and stole some jewelry. Like, why am I going to invite him into my house? That doesn't sound like a smart move. Um, and so from from that stance, from a professional stance of I'm going to get into some profession where I might not want to be considered an addict, I completely get what she was saying. Um which just, it made me think maybe the goal there is to maybe infiltrate these jobs and then expose ourselves. Almost like, not completely what you're talking about, because I think you've been a little more open the whole time. But at least at this point where you've established yourself of who you are today, right? Like, it's very easy to say, hey, yeah, I come from this, right? I can expose it now and look at where I am today. Obviously, something's happened, Um and I think that's where the action speaks louder than words thing comes into play too, because right. just to, you know, to kind of go back to what you said before, like if I did apply to be a coach and I was turned down and wasn't able to coach, I mean, yeah, that would suck for me. And I kind of glossed over that, but the truth is I would still show up for every practice. You know, I'd still be there. I'd still talk to the coaches. I'd still be around. I'd still show up, you know, do all the things I still do. Maybe not on the field with the kids, but I would definitely do it with my kid and I would definitely still be there and people would see me supporting my kid, encouraging them, doing all the things that I do now. Like I wouldn't change my behavior. I'm not out there acting some part for them. I would still be exactly the person that I am. I agree. I think the part that that would have been bothersome for me. So I was I tried to run this scenario out in my head. Um, Okay, I apply to be a coach. They say no. And then I do what you just said, right? Cool. I show up. I I still show my kids, you know, train them on how to play. We practice together. We play together. I can't really help the team on the field because that's kind of the rule about not being allowed to coach is you can't go out on the field, even for practices or anything, if you've got the record. That was at least where I'm coming from. I don't know if that's the rule up here or not. Um, Yes. Okay. So, but uh, I, I think the thing that really just, bothered me the most was that yeah i would still be living right but the other 60 parents watching the game would never be aware that this guy that they believe is living right got turned down and that's the fucking problem like nobody ever get becomes aware of this nobody knows that like i almost feel like i need to raise uh, uh, my voice and say you know what i got turned down for helping teach kids how to fucking read we need to like reevaluate our system <laughs> right. here because nobody knows that you got 600,000 people in Baltimore that don't realize that a guy who wanted to help children read couldn't. Right. And so nothing ever fucking changes because we don't know about it. So yeah, they turn you down you still help out and that's great. That helps your family. That helps whoever ends up practicing with you, but nothing ever changes. We're still missing out on having good coaches out there because we don't change our (laughs) our views. Yeah. And so now I think you get into a little bit of the, what I would call the next phase of breaking our own anonymity, which gets into advocacy. Mm, (laughs) And I think that's where, as we've talked about some of this before, I think that's a, that's a step 
you know, further. Right, um, right. There's one thing to, you know, sort of be open about who you are and what you do. And then there's another thing to go push and advocate for the rights of addicts, you know, in the community. One of the things my wife, you know, does is advocacy. You know, she outs herself and she goes and pushes and fights for the rights of people in recovery and, and using addicts. Yeah, that's, it's definitely, I think you're right. It might be a step further. I've, uh, I don't know, man, I got passion about it, but I also got anger and I know anger doesn't, it's good for the energy to go do it, but it's not really necessarily good for reaching people all the time. Um, I will also, uh, raise up anger in people who agree with me. And then the people who don't will just hate on it and, and disagree. And that's not really, that's not how you change people's opinions. Um, just because there's so many of these, I'm trying to keep us on track a little bit. Uh, Brenda mentioned that not everybody needs to know. Uh, I, I really can't argue with that. Um, that is a point. I think that's a lot of the point of, of many of these is that kind of we need to pick and choose as people who we expose to and when and for what reason. And I, I can respect that, right? I get it. I, I live that way most of my life. Um, I, I think the point of this post was just to say, is that the way? Right. I get it is a way, but is that the way? And that's what I, I think I might have been going for here. Um, Troy said something real similar. You know, it's it's my choice. It's my choice of what I want to do. And I appreciate that. It is. Um, Vic went on to mention that he doesn't really broadcast it, but he also has his black key tags in his belt loop. I'm sure we've all seen, you know, the people who do that, which is pretty neat. Um, I think you mentioned that not everybody really knows what the hell that means, but I would say most people don't know what that is. So I would say if you just had the black one hanging off your belt loop, probably not. They're just going to think it's a fucking key tag, right? But if you're one of the people who has all the colors dangling down, I don't even know if that's still a thing. It definitely was 15, 18 years ago. I think people might ask about that one. Like, why do you got them rainbows of key tags dangling down your leg? That's a little (laughs) fucking weird. Right. Um, So I'm not sure. I guess if he just does the black one, probably nobody ever noticed. Um. I used to carry my white one on my keys forever. It finally broke and came off, but I had my just for today one on my key ring forever. That was obviously destiny that you got to get a new one. (laughs) (laughs) God's will. Right. Uh, Well, and the the funniest thing happened. So one time at a meeting, uh, a group was, you know, they were giving out the white key tags and they didn't have any more. They're like, we don't have a white key tag. And my wife says to me, oh, you got your one on your key ring give it to him and i said no (laughs) i'm not giving that away that's my one day tag that i got my first day clean like that was the beginning of you know it was sentimental value to me and her and i had a big conversation about it and she was right she was right and having (laughs) you know in the moment she was totally wrong so we have a history of that she's always wrong in the moment she's Right. right two days later when i have time to think about it but in the moment she's always wrong um, but I kept it, and then it eventually broke and came off. My because teeth, you but, didn't give it away to keep I it. I should have gave it away. Right, and then you could have kept it. And got a new one. Yeah, instead, it broke. <laughs> Karma. Uh, Amy pointed out, she just said that uh, I'm gaining in humility. And so I thought that was an interesting take on it, just to, you know, maybe that is what's going on. I don't know. Mm. I, I Nothing occurred to me when I woke up and had that thought that it was a humble thought, right? Mm. But I, I guess... I guess looking at it, maybe, right? Maybe it's like the humility of, hey, fuck it. If there is backlash against me personally, this is better for the whole anyway. 
Um, So maybe that is where it's coming from. I don't know. Uh, Sherry mentioned that it might, you know, also be due in part because a lot of more people are speaking out now. You know, we do have the opioid epidemic and the fentanyl and the overdose awareness going on. And maybe it is a more comfortable environment to feel the ability to do that in. So that's possible. Yeah. And I think there was also a part of that that, you know, as the uh, 12 step fellowships live in anonymity, like how do our politicians and the lawmakers and the people that are making decisions on what are good uh, pathways forward for recovery, you know, guess who isn't anonymous? The methadone clinics or the, you know, right. Marijuana maintenance programs or all those, those are private businesses that are paying for lobbyists, that are paying for seats at these political banquet dinners, that are paying to support local officials, right. you know. So, and I don't mean this is a form of corruption or whatever. That's how our political system works, like it or not. If you're not a person that's at the table and a part of the conversation, then they don't get to hear your opinion. Right. They don't get to hear your side of the story. They only hear from the people that are showing up at those places talking. So if we all sit around anonymously and go about our day, then they don't understand the importance of 12-step fellowships and abstinence-based recovery and why these things help our community and why they're a good option along with some of these other options. I'm not saying there's only one option, but if we don't even try to get a seat at the table, then you know we become whatever obsolete in the uh the the public system the public health care system you know just doesn't even know we exist right you know something i never thought of and it's not completely tied into what you just said maybe i needed to wait this long in recovery to come forward because i've been a jerk up till now like maybe i'm finally to offer (laughs) maybe maybe i'm finally at a point in my recovery where maybe my actions that are positive pretty much outweigh most of the negative i do right like up until now it's been like i don't know if we want him representing us i don't know that's an interesting thought Well, and the truth is if you you know people that have out of themselves in recovery if you're in that sort of scene of like the you know people that are kind of trying to do this political thing. Um, Occasionally stories come up with those people too, where there's issues, you know, like legal issues and personal issues and stuff like that. Because at the end of the day, we are all human beings. Yeah. And even if you're in recovery, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to be human. You know what I mean? You're (laughs) going to give in to whatever financial corruption or whatever, peace like all those things are going to happen right right i'm not saying i'd steal a million dollars but god damn <laughs> yeah, don't leave me next to it right, right? <laughs> i would think about it a couple times that's for damn yeah. sure um another guy chris or i assumed a guy it might also be a female i'm honestly not sure now that i think about it so another human chris uh, mentioned that they did kind of the opposite of what i did and they were really quiet about their recovery for the first five or so years and then after that Uh, they tended to start sharing more about it. And and they, you know, mentioned kudos to those who feel the responsibility and conduct themselves well in the journey to to end the stigma. And I I don't know, it resonated with me a little bit. I thought it was interesting that they did it backwards from the way I did it, because, you know, uh, obviously everyone always does everything the way I do it. That's the only way I see it. Um, 
What are your thoughts on that? Do you think you did it opposite too, or have you been just open the whole time? Um, well, so early in my recovery, we didn't really have public, uh, media, social media like mm, we do now. So right. it wasn't a thing, you know, Facebook's only been around like 10 years. Well, so I already still... had 10 years clean when Facebook started to be a thing. And by that point, I, I mean, recovery was a big part of my life. Right. You know? like, right. And so from the point of social media, I mean, I guess forever, I don't know that I've ever Hmm. I'd have to think back. That's been a long time ago, so I don't remember. I think it's interesting also. I wonder how our lives differ in the sense that, like, you and your wife are both in recovery. Um, and so you've attended recovery events. It is a big part of your life, as you say. Mm-hmm. You know, you, your kids had hung out while you guys went to events sometimes. Like, my wife's not in recovery, right? And not that she wouldn't go with me, but I've never really wanted to... I, I say bore her, but just I never really saw the need for her to go with me to different things. So if I went and shared somewhere at a spiritual day or something like I didn't take my kids and my wife for the most part. It wasn't no reason to. It was easier to leave her home to watch them um, and they wouldn't interrupt the meeting. And we've had that whole conversation, I think, on here. Uh, But so I, I wonder how that changed. Recovery wasn't like a super huge part of my life. It was a huge part of my life individually and personally to keep me who I am, but it wasn't like that's what my wife and I did together and it became part of the family dynamic. I wonder how that differed our lives. Hmm. Yeah, it's hard to say. It is. Um, so the the last one I want to mention off of here was, uh, was Frank. Frank says, as we grow, our beliefs and values change hopefully for the greater good of ourselves and others. Honor your higher power's desire within you. Congrats on your continued growth. And I think of all the things that were said on this this comment post, I had some really interesting discussions. I love seeing everybody's opinions, but I think this one hit the most home with my spirit, my heart, my emotions. I don't know what you want to call it. Um, Really resonated within me that like, whether this is right for people, wrong for people, I'm being called to do something internally and I need to respect that, mm-hmm. whatever it means, right? I don't know if it's right for people or wrong for people or what, but obviously I am feeling a calling, kind of as you mentioned before we even got into these comments, that it's just time for me to stop worrying about it, right? Whatever happens, happens. Look, as much as I try to keep it quiet, you see what's happened because of my record anyway. It's not <laughs> yeah, like keeping right. it quiet's really fucking right. helped me it's a whole lot. A bunch, yeah, right. right. So all it's done is just keep it quiet. Right. And now maybe it's time for me to stop that shit. Maybe it's time for people to know, hey, this is who I am. Um, and I'm feeling pretty comfortable and confident in that. I feel confident in myself that I'm able to mostly carry myself in a decent way. Uh, thank, thanks to God. Honestly, I don't really take a whole lot of credit for that. I know you and I have different takes on the whole <laughs> higher power and what choices and options we have and all that. But like, I don't take a whole lot of credit. When I behave well today, I generally just think, holy fuck, who the fuck managed to get that out of me? Because that's not who I am. Um, And the whole, uh, you know, like my wife being a recovery advocate and me, even for that matter, sort of trying to be somewhat of a recovery advocate. um, That is a new part of our journey. You know, she hasn't done that her whole career. I mean, she's had professional career. She's worked for, you know, the University of Delaware and 
She's worked for, you know, some other, you know, businesses having a quote unquote normal, you know, job in a professional world. And, and she sort of kind of got pulled into this work from a friend of ours, you know, when this peer recovery specialist sort of thing started popping up years back. Um, a friend of ours was like, Hey, look, I've been doing this thing. You would be great at this kind of work. You know, your mm. passion, your desire for recovery, your, you know, spiritual wanting to help people like this is, this is for you. And, uh, that, so she embarked on that journey. I'm going to say it's been seven years ago, seven or eight years ago. Um, but before that advocacy and speaking out publicly about recovery wasn't a part of our life. You know, we didn't hide it. We, you know, we still went, like say, I went to meetings and it was the center of like our social world. Right. But now, you know, it's a very public part of our life for the most part, advocating for recovery resources and treatment options in the community. And that has come with a price tag, you know, personally for her. Mm -hmm. Um, She has lost some friends over it. She's been attacked and criticized by other people in the recovery community who feel that abstinence base is the only way it should be. And all this mm-hmm. other stuff that she advocates and pushes for is wrong. She's been attacked over things like needle exchange or, you know, the, meth- uh, the uh, what's it called? The fentanyl test strips, you know, trying to push for that stuff. Or, you know, people have told her she's just enabling addicts and she's killing, pe- you know, there's there's been a personal cost that she's had to pay for that, getting involved in that kind of work. Right. Um, so it's not for everyone. You know what I mean? Right. Like some people don't have it in that to, to fight that battle. Um, she likes to say in her particular thing. So, you know, when her and I first met and, and well, she's always had a daughter with a disability. And so she went through a process of years of time of having to fight with the Social Security Administration for the rights and protection and care of her daughter. Um, and that process of going through that experience gave her some skills on how to navigate some of this stuff, how to push, how to not just walk away when somebody tells you no, you know, how to not just, you know, when they say, well, you can't do that and just be like, okay, I guess we can't like, but they go, oh, we can, and we're going to keep trying. Hmm. And maybe you say no, but it doesn't mean I'm going to go away. And, uh, you know, those skills kind of put her in a position to be able to, to do this, but it does take a certain personality and a certain kind of person if to, to be really uh, a vocal uh, advocate for recovery in the community. You know, you got to have the skin to be able to take the rejection of the job, to take the rejection of the coaching position, because right. when you put yourself out there, that is a reality, you know. It's not always going to end with the feel good. Now they get to see what a great guy I am. Right. Sometimes it's going to be with them going, fuck no, we don't want you around our kids, you junkie. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's been, uh, it was tough with a couple of my college professors who had to find out who, who encouraged me to apply and said, I can't imagine, you know, it would hold you up because they knew who I was in their classroom. And then to go back and have that conversation with them that, yeah, it did. It did hold me up. Right. And now how do you view me or, or, Really, but what it turned into wasn't how do you view me. It was more like how much more angry at the system are you now, <laughs> right? Because right. like they, they, it wasn't about me. Um, interesting that that your wife talked about you know being prepared or groomed for through her life for where she's at now. 
I always like things like that. To me, that's always just a reinforcement of my higher power belief system <laughs> of how it all works right. out, right? Um, no, I would agree. I, so you you did mention one thing. The only thing I disagree with the whole the whole thick skinned idea. Um, I've heard that so many times through my life. I think it's almost part of the toxic masculinity that we can mm. fall into. I I don't know that it's a thick skin of mine that is going to protect me in this time of coming out or whatever you want to call it. Right. Like it's the fact that I am able to sit with vulnerability and with hurt feelings and with pain. And I know ways to, to deal with that today. I know I can call and talk about it to people. I know I can cry about it. I know I can hug people over it. Right. Like it's not because it doesn't affect me. It's because I have the ability to let it affect me. And I'm okay with that today. I lean into that kind of shit as much as I hate it. I hate the idea of being hurt, but when it comes, I, I know what I do with it today, and I, I lean into it and, and try to experience it and learn and grow from it. Uh, but I don't think it's a a thick skin that's going to be my protection as I go through that process of of being disappointed in things. Depends on when it comes with the personal insults. I gotta. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my wife has been personally attacked and insulted on public okay. media and right. in in person, you know, right. and, you know, behind her back, you know, like there's been mm. a lot of personal insults and it's been not just, we don't agree with what you're doing or, right, but it's right. No, I got you. personal insults. And so, you know, I don't know. Um, I guess maybe that's it. You know, she can keep doing it because she's got some coping skills, but like for her, she's definitely thought about getting out of it. You know, that conversation comes up once every couple of months. She says, I can't do this anymore. I'm, right. I'm, I've had enough, you know, no, no. or whatever the rejection and insults and, you know, whatever. And that definitely does change it. That definitely makes it a more personal attack. That's definitely uh, that's the kind of people I admired. Like, like, you know, you talk about a Martin Luther King or, or mm -hmm. anybody who's been able to stand their ground and hold their morals, but not participate in the mudslinging. Like that just blows my mind. Right. And that's, truly who I would like to be in those situations. I want to be the guy that doesn't get all angry and, 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 you know, jump and lash back out at you when you criticize me. Right. Cause my, my tendency is really to belittle the shit out of you and make you feel stupid. Right. right. As soon as you criticize me. So I want to be this guy who doesn't get emotionally invested and, and, and can kind of step back a little and, and respond appropriately. Right. <laughs> Leave the outcomes to God. Right? <laughs> but I was at my daughter's middle school basketball game this past Friday. And if you'd have watched me there, you wouldn't have wanted to know I was in recovery. I was on the fucking court screaming at the referee for not making a call. Didn't even have nothing to do with my daughter. Girl pushed a girl over and I'm out in his, not in his face, but three feet away from him on the court. I think they're making a law about you right now. Uh, they, they probably need to. Somebody should be fucking babysitting me. I don't know. I get emotional at times over things <laughs> that aren't that heavy. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think we've we've thoroughly beat this to death today. Yeah. What do you you agree with that? Yeah, the only thing I would say is, you know, again with recovery, it's your individual path. You know, make the choice that's right for you. And if you feel your heart's calling you to to be out, you know, and you have the courage to do it, then then do it. There are people that'll support you and go through that. Um, but hopefully the people around you also have enough respect and enough uh, understanding of this principle of anonymity that if you are a person that wants to remain anonymous, hopefully people within your fellowship or within your circle of friends can 
respect and appreciate that too, because that is equally important. Absolutely. And I think that's a great wrap up. I hope everybody has a great week. Uh, Keep recovering, keep spreading the love, and we'll see you again next week. That wraps up this episode. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your preferred platform. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to talk about or just want to add an opinion, contact us through Anchor, email us at recoverysortof at gmail.com, or find us on Twitter at recoverysortof.